0: want to share this morning a prophetic word for 2024, and it's simply this, it's your season to recover all. It's your season to recover all. We'll be talking about one of my favorite passages I'll use as a a text to talk about these things. Before I do, let me share something um, important. Just kidding. Something funny. Um, I just want to preface this by saying I had the best mother-in-law ever, and uh, this is no way uh, a disparaging comment on her, because I don't want her slapping me around when I come to heaven. A man, his wife, and his mother-in-law went on a vacation to the Holy Land. That's that's Israel. While they were there, the mother-in-law passed away. An undertaker told them, you can have her shipped home for $5,000 or you can bury her here in the Holy Land for only $150. The man thought about it for a moment and told him he would just like to have her shipped home. The undertaker asked, why? Why would you spend $5,000 to ship your mother-in-law home when it would be wonderful to have her buried here in the Holy Land for only $150? The man said, well, a." 2,000 years ago a man died here. He was buried and three days later he rose from the dead. I just can't take that chance. Just joking, mom-in-law. She she knows that. I still am in trouble though, I bet. Uh, My text is going to be 1 Samuel chapter 30 once again following the life of David. And it happened, verse 1, when David and his men came home to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they had taken captive the women and those who were there from the youngest to the oldest. They did not kill anyone but carried them away and then went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David said to the people that were there, excuse me, that David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite, had also been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed for all the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David strengthened, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Ah. Then David said to Abathor the priest, the Himalach son, please bring the ephod here. And Abathor brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop, and shall I overtake them? And the Lord answered and said, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Skip down a few verses. Verse 17 says, Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day, the Amalekites. Not a man of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking. i got to read that again. And nothing of theirs was lacking. Either small or great, sons or daughters, spoiler, anything which they had taken from them, David recovered all. Lord, thank you for your word that is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, I thank you for anointing your servant today. Anoint your word today. Anoint your people. We feed like the children of Israel off of the manna of your word. Let your word be the light into our feet, a guide into our way. Let your word be a two-edged sword that pierces through deceptions and darkness and sets us free. Have your way today, Lord. Show the devil who's boss. In Jesus' name, amen. There's so much that I love about this story. I think primarily because I've kind of lived through a similar story. And the story begins with David and his 600 mighty men, the baddest warriors on the planet. And they're out making a living during this season. They were mercenaries, and they would for fees or for food, they would do certain things, protect people. And while they're away making a living, their cities attacked. And And David thought that would never happen because everyone knew that this was the army not to mess with. Don't mess with David. He's a giant slayer. His men had equal achievements, many of them. And so they just assumed both God's protection and the The fame of their achievements would protect their families and while they're away, the Amalekite army comes, this nomadic army of ungodly people and they swarm through the village. They burn every house to the ground, they kidnap every person, the elderly and wives and then children and stole all the wealth and then left. A quick, sudden, horrifically traumatic attack. And they left. And so, when David and his men came back, they were shocked that such an event could happen to them. Now, there's so many important things, and one of them is David is three days away from being crowned king of Judah. And sometimes discouragement is the greatest when breakthrough is the closest. It's important that you don't misdiagnose the intensity of this moment, Because often it is the enemy trying to intimidate you away from a breakthrough that has been scheduled by God for your life. So here's David and his men come home and my first point is this, the enemy wouldn't be attacking you so hard if there wasn't something so valuable inside of you. Thieves don't break into empty houses. When you're a threat, you're always a target. And so, it's important to understand that because many of you maybe went through unusually intense childhood difficulty and and abandonment or pain or trauma. And it's not just a thing that happened. It was like this event, a fiery event, a fiery trial. And primarily, the devil was trying to wound you so grievously, you'd be incapable of fulfilling your great destiny. So there's a sensing in hell, and the enemy now is hitting David with the worst attack he's gone through. Here's what Jesus said, the thief, the devil is a thief, comes only, exclusively to rob, kill, and destroy, but I've come. But I've come. I've come that you might have life, and not just have life, and have it more abundantly. The idea of that verse is, I've come to undo and restore everything he's taken. Come on, the devil's a liar. This is your season to recover all. God is going to restore everything the devil has stolen from you. Everything. And, and, and so don't believe that when a negative thing happens, that's the ultimate defining mark of your life, it's not over till God says it's over, and it's not over till God says it's good. And if it's not good, it means it's not over. First Peter 4 says that Peter's talking as a now mature, wise apostolic leader, he says, my brethren, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. So he didn't say just a trial, but a fiery trial. Often when the devil wants to discourage people, he attacks their family or their finances, as in this example. And sometimes, you know, when you throw a pebble into a body of water or to a lake, a still watered lake, it will make a proportionate splash according to its size and weight. But when a small pebble makes a large splash, which is, you know, not not possible, but in our lives, when we have an event happen that makes a large consequential response, it's because the unseen hand of the devil's on it. So, there's an exaggerated outcome because the enemy has now turned up the heat. So, you're not strange just because something strange happened to you. Come on, I'm giving a couple of people permission to not be strange. Yeah. Yeah. You're not the sum of the negative experiences that have happened to you. You're more than that. Okay. 1 Peter 5 says this, be sober, not just drugs or alcohol. Be mentally alert, spiritually awake. Be sober, be vigilant. If there's ever been a time to have those things, it's now. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who we may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. So Mary and I, in 2020, were ministering in Johannesburg, South Africa. And the pastor gave us a one-day safari. It was a beautiful gift. And I love this safari because we went to a private preserve where they guaranteed you'd see like 20 animals. It wasn't like a wild preserve. We have to hope and pray you see. So... That, you know, that they know where the elephants are, the giraffes, and, and, and so we're sitting there in the car in the open Jeep, and I wasn't paying attention, and a full adult male lion walked two feet past me, and I realized he could have easily grabbed my leg and had me for breakfast. This this massive, beautiful animal walked past me. What did I do? I took a picture. <laughs> if I'm going to die, I wanted to go on Facebook. You know, what? Oh, yeah, then I traumatized my wife. I I dropped my phone, and you're not allowed to get out of the Jeep, and we were looking at the rhinoceroses. And so they're not the friendliest of animals. So my phone's on the ground, and my wife's looking at me angrily. Why would you bring it up three years later if you're not angry about it? I'm just asking. Anything else you want to bring up right now in front of everybody? Let's just come on. Keep it, keep it coming. So whenever I get in trouble, I have her, because no one can say no to her, honey, go tell my phone dropped. She said, my husband dropped his phone. So he, the brave guy got out. He got the phone, and no, and no one attacked him. No uh, rhinoceros attacked him, which was a, a big day. My whole point <laughs> My whole point is this the devil's prowling all the time. He's a ravenous evil beast. And he is at war with all mankind now and he has a heightened attention and aggression against believers. Okay? Just because you're a believer. Now in this story. This is something God really showed me. The Amalekites are a picture of spiritual warfare and of spiritual strongholds. So their behavior gives us a mirror into hell's strategy concerning our lives. So there's a couple of scriptures. I'll, I'll read them to you. Just stay with me. In Deuteronomy 25, God said to Moses, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. So here comes a vast congregation of 2 million people exiting Egypt, heading toward Canaan. How he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear, when you were tired and weary, he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around, in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess as an inheritance— that you shall blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. Every generation has the obligation to war against the spirit of discouragement. The ultimate aim of this attack was to sow discouragement. So the Amalekite were a nomadic people, and they were studying Israel from their mountain, hidden mountaintop hideaways. And... As this massive congregation of two million people comes out of Egypt, they study them. And they said, well, all the young and strong and aggressive warriors are at the front pack of this massive army, this massive company of people. But back here are the elderly, the young, and the, and the slow, the wearied, and the weakened. Let's attack them where they're the most weak. Let's attack them... Back there. And so, it wasn't that they attacked Israel that God got upset about. God would, but other nations attacked Israel. But no one did it like this. No one did it so diabolically, demonically evil that it got heaven's attention. So, the Amalekite spirit represents hell's attack in your life, the spirit that studies you. And finds out where you're the most vulnerable and attacks you when you're tired and weary. So when you combine those things, your weak place and then your tired soul, when you put those together, it's a perfect storm of adversity. And God says, never forget what they've done. So it's important because discouragement sometimes is not just the culmination of negative things you've been through, it's the demonic assignment against you to make you quit before something big happens in your story. Come on, the devil is a liar. He's a liar. And it's important that you and I understand and overcome his intentionality. The devil can't win in your story unless he convinces you to quit. So I have a word for you. Don't quit. Don't give up. The devil is a liar. You are so close. Come on, elbow someone and say, you're so close. You are so close. God has something amazing planned and prepared for you. And let me boldly say one of my favorite phrases for all of my ministry. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. So, another examination and revelation of Satan's activity is found in Exodus 17, verse Verse 8. Now Amalek came, the Amalekites came, and fought with Israel in the Rephidim, Valley of Giants. Moses said to Joshua, choose out some men and go to fight, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And so it was, Moses' hands, as Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. When he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, tired. So they took a stone, they put it under him, they sat him down. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side. And his hands were steady to the going down of the sun. And Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar to the Lord and called it by the name, the Lord is my banner, Yahweh Nisi. Okay? My banner of victory. Because the Lord has sworn, I will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So we face the same kind of spiritual Conflicts just in maybe different methodology than other generations, and God wants you to war against this spirit. Okay? Well, Pastor, I got all these things happening in my family. I'm sorry, but it's time for you to encourage yourself with the Lord and not <laughs> let the devil win. Okay? Now, point number two. Being spiritual doesn't mean you don't have and feel emotions. But being spiritual means you don't allow negative emotions to reign over you. Okay, so spiritual people are normal people. When a person claims to be spiritual and exhibits no emotion, that's a traumatized person disguising their trauma in spiritual words. So people have emotions. So, um, for example, the Bible never says don't be angry. The Bible says, don't act on your anger. Be angry and don't sin. So, what does that mean? So, um, um, so when I drive, I pray in tongues. I'm listening to praise music. I'm like an angel driving on the road. God bless you. Come on. And the the longer I'm on the road, the more the probability I'm going to run into a devil. They're all the way out there. And, and that person may do something inappropriate. And because I have normal emotions, I feel something toward them that's not Jesus-like. I feel anger. It's not a sin to feel that. It's a sin if I let my words or my fingers do anything, okay? Hold on to the steering wheel. Behave yourself. I'm not going to say a thing. God, God bless you. God bless you. So, <coughs> grief is normal when you lose something. Lose a loved one. They've lost their sons and their daughters. Grief is normal. They cried until their tear ducts were empty. Grief is the normal, healthy response when a person does not grieve, and they bottle it up. They set up a a, a you know a, a crisis somewhere in their future where that grief will come out physically, psychologically, relationally. However, so we have to process grief. So grief's okay. The Bible. So grief is good until it's not. What does that mean? So I tell the story all the you know, Mary checks. She just the other day, she checks all the expiration dates on everything in the refrigerator. Of course she does. Remember? <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> Something I never did till I met her. I kept the stuff until it made me sick. <laughs> I think that I think that ketchup's a couple years old. I don't know. I'm feeling kind of and she checks it. And and one day I said, "Honey, just just smell it." She said, "No, no, it turns bad before you can taste or smell it." And so God says to us: Remember, Psalm thirty says, "Morning may endure for the night, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning." So there's an expiration date. It's, it's not that you don't stop feeling the loss of something or someone. But God says, I refuse to let grief be the Lord of your soul. I'm going to heal you and restore you there, okay? So I'm not, I'm not diminishing anyone here that's grieving, okay? So it's important that we get that. So, so being spiritual means this. I do spiritual things that are contrary to my, to my emotional feelings. Jesus said, bless those that curse you, bless and curse not. What a fun thing to do! Every time I've done, I've never felt like doing it when I do that, but I've done it hundreds of times. I've made myself do something biblical and spiritual, in spite of the complaint of my emotions. Come on, I've been in a, I've been in more church services than you. Okay, so, so I've been in, so in a portion of those services. For whatever reason, physically, emotionally, I haven't felt like worshiping. I've always worshiped in all those services because I never let my emotions dictate my spiritual response to God. Remember David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually, unceasingly be in my mouth. So, how it works is, when we start worshiping God, out of an active will and discipline, by the third song, our emotions kick in. Okay, okay, now I feel it. Because we've trained our emotions to obey our spirit. Okay, okay, I, I, I don't have enough time to go too deep in that. Okay, third point: Every single believer. Someone say that's me. Has the opportunity and hence the responsibility to encourage themselves in the Lord. So it's good. I love the ministry of encouragement. I try to do it with everything I do. My Facebook, my, my, uh, my messages, my encounters with you. I try to be a constant encourager because people are really fighting discouragement all the time. But I can't encourage you if I have encouraged me. So, so here's what happened. David's men wanted to kill him. So so how much emotional havoc had this thing caused that the men who would have gladly the day before died to save, rescue, or protect David now want to murder him? So David has the same depth of pain. He's lost his two wives and extended family. So David has had the same injury. But David did not wait until his emotions recovered through a period of time. You know what I found out, Dr. McCray? Time doesn't heal all wounds, Jesus does. (laughs) And the remarkable thing to me, after a person who suffered a chronic, life-threatening depression for two and a half years, me, David recovered the same day. This is an amazing example. So David feels the same pain. He grabs his harp, maybe some parchments of prophecies he's had or scriptures that he maybe the scroll of Isaiah. I don't know what he has. He climbs up the mountain, finds a little, his little prayer place, his little worship place. And the Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now, a couple points. You'll be a lifetime victim of the circumstances of your life as long as you believe other people control your emotions. <clears throat> man. if you're married, never say this to your spouse, you make me feel this way. No one can make you feel any way. You're in charge of your emotions. It's a cop-out and a victimization identity to say, I can't help the way I feel. You can help. You're supposed to help. You're in charge of your soul. Okay. So so David didn't blame the man that so David took charge he so I was in a life threatening depression 1997 I'd been in it for two two years plus I'm watching TBN a Christian uh television station and this pleasantly plump African American preacher came on named T.D. Jakes so he comes on and he he talked like, like he was speaking right to me. It hit me. My soul resonated. I could tell he had been through hell. I could tell he came out. And I said, I want to come out like he's come out. And next day, my wife, I borrowed some money, got on an airplane, flew to Dallas, went to the Potter's House Church. They just opened the campus there. I went into the lobby, into the bookstore, a little, it was small back then, and I said, hi, I've come here from Arizona, and I'd like to buy every single tape your pastor has ever made. The, the, the African-American woman looked at me like I was crazy. You want what? <laughs> I want every tape that's available. She went back, and these two ladies were laughing their heads off. You're not going to believe he's out there. Some cracker came from Arizona. He wants everything <laughs> pastor has ever said. So I, she came out like a half an hour later with two big grocery bags of cassette tapes. I paid a couple hundred dollars to you very much. Got on an airplane, flew home. I devoured these tapes. Like a starving man, he devours a meal. I fed myself. I started working out. Physical activity. I started feeding my soul. I was finishing my PhD. I did everything to climb out of the horrible pit of depression. I fed myself. Now, I wish someone could have rescued me. Ultimately, no one could begin my restoration but me, me and God. And within a few months, I started feeling different. I don't know what it's going to take for you to encourage yourself, but my friends do it. Well, You say, Pastor, I don't like T.D. Jakes. I don't care that you don't like him. I love him. I owe my life to him. Maybe he's not your thing, so what? Maybe I'm your thing, feel, feel bad for you if that's true. <laughs> you got to do whatever it takes, baby. Yes. If that, you you, you got to wake up early, go to bed late, get your Bible out, memorize. you you got to pray in tongues. you got to listen to tapes. you, you got <clears> to. <throat> because every decision you make while you're discouraged will be a bad one. David encouraged himself. Bible says in Isaiah 40, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not go weary. They shall walk and not faint. The word wait is kovah in the Greek Hebrew, kovah most often is translated hope. But it's a literally the picture of three strands of string being twisted together. They that twist themselves around God. They that, they that twist themselves around the promises of Scripture, the presence of God, that worship until their horse, they that, that, that just <laughs> shall renew their strength and they'll get everything back they lost. They'll outrun the others. They'll find renewed strength, energy, etc. Okay, I, I, I'm going too slow, which I only have myself to blame. Last point: David asked the priests, <laughs> "God can talk to you about your future when you're encouraged enough to believe it." And and David said, "Is it God's will?" that I go get my family back. And if I go, will I succeed? And the Lord said, pursue, overtake, and without fail, you will recover all. I, I just want to prophesy, you're going to recover all. Now, David got his family and wealth back after he got his soul back. When you win the battle in here, That stuff's easy. The big battle is here and here. This is the battle. This is where Amalek wants to kill you. Remember Saul, he's anointed king from God. And the prophet walks in and said, God's first assignment is to go destroy the Amalekites. Saul didn't do it. Kept the best people, the best things alive. In 2 Samuel... David's on the throne and a young man comes in holding the crown, of th- the, the crown of Saul here. And David said, is Saul dead? He says, yes. How do you know he's dead? I killed him. Who are you? I'm an Amalekite. You either kill discouragement or it'll kill you. Come on. You cannot fool around with things that have the power to steal your future, to ruin your happiness, and to rob your destiny. And, and, and David said, is it God's will? Yes, it's God's will. I just want to say to you aggressively, powerfully, filled with faith, this is your season to pray your family into salvation, to pray your marriage into healing, to pray your business into breakthrough, to pray your ministry into expansion. This is your recover all season. Come on, in every, when God helped me overcome depression, everything I lost, God gave back to me. From my son sitting in the front row to this, to the a miracle ministry. Your pastor has a testimony, baby. I have a testimony. I was as low as you can go. I was as low as life can take you. And if Jesus could help me recover all, and get my mind back and get my soul back. He can help you, and and after you overcome those lies and those those tactics, after you overcome the enemy's attempt to assassinate your future. When you come out of that, then God can start replenishing your hope, your dreams, your vision, and give you an assignment to be a breakthrough, anointed ambassador of his kingdom. You're the one that's gonna break every generational curse that has harmed and hurt, crippled and controlled your family. You're the one that's gonna overcome discouragement, depression and anxiety. You're the one that's gonna rise up in this generation and be like David, recover all come on, I prophesy your family will be saved. I prophesy your marriage will be restored. I prophesy it's the season to recover all. Your health renewed. Your business blessed. There's no part of your story. God won't restore if you can recover your soul. Come on, tell someone, I'm going to recover all. Just tell them. I pray that This message was for some people especially. Don't wait until a year from now, the end of 24, to decide how the year went. In January you prophesy. This is my recovery year. And no matter how difficult, strange or fiery things may go, never let go of your promise. You're gonna recover all. Thank you for listening to me. Prayer team, if you join me down front. Come on, lift your hands to heaven. Say this out loudly, Heavenly Father. Say, come on, say it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all you've given me through Jesus. Thank you for forgiving my sins, for adopting me to your family. Thank you for redemption. And thank you, Lord. You're not done in my story. And today I believe and I declare the best is yet to come. And that 2024 is my year to recover all that the enemy stole i'm laying claim to in the mighty name of jesus christ amen amen hey as we close the service it is our joy to pray for people and no matter what you need we're here to pray for you and stand with you and really believe for god to do great things in your life but if you say pastor i I don't know where I stand with God. I don't know if I'm going to get, I I don't know if my sins are forgiven. Man, thank you for coming. Thank you for listening to me, for watching. And we believe God set this up as a divine appointment for you to receive the greatest gift in life. And that's the gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. We'd be deeply honored to pray for you today. It will be the high point of the service. Maybe you're a Christian just been away from God in your walk with God. Well, make today your homecoming Sunday, okay? Make today your coming back home Sunday. We'd be honored to pray for you. If you need a healing in your mind or a body, we believe that by His stripes, 1 Peter 2, 24, we were healed at the cross, and by the name of Jesus, we invoke the grace of the cross to bring healing to our world. We'd be honored to pray for you. Maybe it's just a hard season. A really difficult season. If you want prayer, come forward. Just for 60 seconds longer, church, would you worship with me while those seeking prayer make their way forward? serve in this church in our 20th year. Have a wonderful rest of your Sunday, a wonderful week. Bring someone that needs Jesus or someone that's discouraged to church next week. We're gonna believe God to really do amazing things. Tell someone on your way out, Jesus loves them like crazy. Stay here as long as you'd like. We're gonna keep praying and worshiping until everyone has prayed for you. God bless you.